And we're rolling in three, two, one. Today on the Mikey Show podcast, I am thrilled to have world famous comedian impersonator Eric Jackman. Eric, thanks for being on the show, brother. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Thanks for inviting me on. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's great to be with you. Looking forward to chatting about everything that's going on. You know, all things Trump, you know, all things Canada. We love the Canadian people. They're beautiful people. And uh, happy to be with you today. Well, I'm glad to have you. You uh, run in some pretty interesting circles. Uh, half your friends are like people that I would love to meet. They're the people that I follow on social media and YouTube and Twitter and uh, and I'm rooting for it's like oh my god you're like friends with all my heroes. Uh, when did you get started on this and uh, and with this whole world of impersonation and meeting uh, some so, some of the huge names in politics? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have a twin brother, Mike, and we've always done impersonations. It really started, and we started with impersonating our family. And friends first, because um, you know, as I mentioned to you before, we were rolling. Um, I, I have connections to Canada. My dad was born in Newfoundland, and you know, my grandparents were—they're all from Newfoundland. And um, <laughs> my not my dad so much, but like my grandparents and then my great aunts and uncles all had the Newfie accent, and I was just so fascinated uh, that these people in my own family would have such to me was an exotic and kind of funny sounding accent so at a really young age i would hear that and i would impersonate my grandfather i'd go boy you're a ne'er-do-well boy you're a ne'er-do-well boy you're up there you're not getting anything done boy jesus you're a ne'er-do-well and um you know you impersonate what's around you so we would do that and then when we got into school um we would perform in all the talent shows in front of the whole school and we'd get our teachers permission in writing to impersonate them in front of the school <laughs> and uh, we just kind of became known, known for that. People would be like, oh, the Jackman brothers do the best impressions. Um, you know, do, do this impression, do that impression. And, um, you know, to me, humor, and, and as it is to this day, humor and, and parody and that kind of stuff to me is a really great disarming agent to connect with people um, to cut through a lot of crap because everybody likes to laugh. So sure. I've always kind of used humor and impressions to connect with others and, to get my thoughts about things out there in the world. So, um, you know, I grew up here in New Hampshire, New England, and we have the New Hampshire primary, which attracts anyone who wants to be president. They have to come through our state. And then, you know, with them comes all their surrogates and celebrities and famous people and athletes and uh, media type people, other politicians. So they come through the state too. So through that process, I've met a lot of the people you're mentioning and talking about and, and you meet them and you stay in touch with them and um you know the first campaign i ever worked on i volunteered for john Kerry's campaign in 2004 when he was running against uh his skull and bones cousin george w bush and uh <laughs> you know i was just a young kid 17 18 years old i didn't really know my own i didn't know myself i didn't know really what my political identity was i did i did oppose the iraq war so i was like okay well John Kerry sounds like he's different in opposing the war and his foreign policy is different from Bush, even though he voted for it. So I like him. I'll support him. I guess I'm a Democrat. So my brother and I got John Kerry to come to our high school and he flew in on his helicopter and landed in our parking lot. You know, we're small town, New Hampshire. It was like a big deal. Everyone was excited and he spoke. So that's where I got my first taste of politics and kind of being in the mix and, um, you know, seeing what that was all about. Are you partnering with your brother anymore? Is he still doing any impersonations? Are you doing any uh, co-produced stuff? Yeah. So my brother and I have a uh, interview series and a podcast called Jackman Radio. 
And really this last 2020 primary, um, we did some great interviews. Our focus was to interview as many presidential candidates as possible. So, um, you know, outside of my work for Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, um, we interviewed Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson, Mark Sanford, Bill Weld, um, and an author named Stephen Kinzer. And we just had great interviews with them. We partnered with a brewery here in our neighborhood called Post and Bean Brewing in downtown Peterborough. And they let us film in their brewery um, when it's closed. So we have a whole brewery to ourselves. It's beautiful, brand new, all built up. And uh, when we can, we get the candidate to come in and sit down with us. And only a couple of them had a beer with us. A lot of, a lot of politicians don't, they don't want to drink when the camera's on them. They don't, <laughs> I don't know if they're, they think they, they might look like they're not being gen, uh, genuine, like they're faking having a beer or. In uh, Alberta, that gets you votes. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, in New Hampshire, it does too. We, we have tons of breweries here in New Hampshire and bars and um, people want to see their politicians having a beer with the people. So the, uh, the two guys that did have beers with us, Admiral Joe Sestak, who you know was a long shot and he was a former congressman and he was a vice admiral in the Navy. He had a beer with us and Mark Sanford, the former governor of South Carolina, the guy who uh, took off for a week down to see his mistress in Argentina. You remember that? It was the biggest <laughs> political scandal, biggest political scandal in America at the time. And um, his staff didn't know where he was. And the cover story was, oh, he's just hiking the Appalachian Trail to clear his mind. <laughs> when in reality, he was down in Argentina seeing his mistress. Um, this is when he was sitting governor. So getting you know, his pipes clean. Everything, <laughs> yeah, getting the, cleaning out the pipes. Clearing his mind and his pipes. Believe me, Mark, it was unbelievable. <laughs> but um, just New Hampshire is the center of the political universe for um, every four years for like a year at a time. So we get them all here. And that has really allowed me to meet the people I've met and build up my network and, and come into contact with some pretty extraordinary people. Of all the, how many impersonations uh, do you have in the repertoire right now? So we got President Donald Trump. That's obviously the most popular one, the one I'm known for the most. And then there's Governor Jesse Ventura from Minnesota. I was the independent governor, Mark. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an independent. And uh, then there's uh, there's Alex Jones from Infowars. We're talking about the six foot tall shape shifting reptilians on Epstein's Island. They're with the Clintons, folks. The NYPD has the footage. They're slashing up the babies. They're drinking the babies. They're going to Planned Parenthood, getting all the baby parts. Infowars.com. Um, yeah, I, I probably got, you know, uh, half a dozen to 10 in my repertoire that I do regularly. And my brother, my brother does the best Mickey Rourke impression. Oh, really? Because Mickey, Mickey Rourke is one of our favorite actors. Um, and, uh, my brother just studies, my brother doesn't just watch his movies. He studies them. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro so, Man. Oh, even Harley Davidson. Yeah. With Don Johnson. My God, what an embarrassment. I mean, if, if I was going to get that payday, I would have made that movie too, man. <laughs> but um, so yeah, my brother does Pacino, De Niro. He does a great W. Bush. Um, his Mickey Rourke is the best. He does a great Alex Jones. We, we, you know, he does Trump really well. So between the two of us, we probably have twenty really good impressions. Well, your Jones is over the top. Like, <laughs> I would have thought that that actually was Alex. There, it's pretty perfect. Uh, well, folks, you know, when, you, when you've been fighting the deep state as long as I have, Mark, you know, you know, I work 16, 17, 18, 20, 29 hours a day, folks, fighting the deep state. This stuff is consuming me. And if we elect Hillary Clinton, we're looking at a thousand years of darkness, folks. Infowars.com. Of all the great impersonations. Go ahead. 
Oh, oh no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I, I was going to say, um, uh, of all the impersonators over the years, uh, Rich Little, all of them, uh, do you have one or two that provides you with inspiration? I've always, uh, I've always loved Dana Carvey. Um, he's brilliant. He, he, he does great impressions. I've always loved, um, Daryl Hammond, both obviously of Saturday Night Live fame. And the reason I really admire Daryl Hammond, and a lot of people say this about my Trump impression, that he he impersonates people like not out of hate or spite, but the, he his Trump impression, I think, is a lot like mine in that he's fascinated by the guy and he doesn't come from a place of hate and anger about it. He seeks to actually get inside Trump's psyche and 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 push out that inner monologue that he has and and put it out there in a really funny and clever way. So um, I like them, and, and obviously uh, always been a Jim Carrey fan. I love Jim Carrey, another great Canadian. Mark, by the way, he lived in a car here up in Canada. I understand. He lived in a car for a while. Canadian in, in car. a van down by the river. I live in a van down by the river. Yeah, exactly. So th- those guys, um, you know, their impressions definitely inform a lot of, of what I've done and, and and have been big influences on myself and my brother. You've been up to your hips in the last couple of election cycles. And um, how well do you know, say, uh, Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, so I've met Bernie Sanders a couple of times. The first time I ever met Bernie Sanders, I was actually dressed like Donald Trump. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was kind of a fun thing. I, I'd like to show up to um, rallies of other candidates dressed as Trump. Uh, just to troll, just to get a response, uh, just because it's fun for me, um, and just to see like how people react. Like, oh my God, did Trump send this guy? Did another campaign send him? Who is he? Is he being clandestinely filmed? And I would just show up by myself. Um, so I showed up to a Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders events dressed as Trump, and, and that was a lot of fun. I got a pretty pretty good response. And Bernie laughed. Bernie was like, Oh my God, what are you doing here? Donald, it's great to see you, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> and uh, Bernie was nice. And then I met Bernie uh, for a second time, and that was in 2016. And this is the last time I saw Bernie. He came to my town here in Peterborough, not Peterborough, Ontario, Peterborough, New Hampshire. And um, he spoke at the town hall, and I met him afterwards very quick. I took a picture with him and said hi to him. So I don't really have a relationship with Bernie Sanders. I've just met him a couple times. But um, Tulsi Gabbard is a very good friend of mine, and um, I, you know, was one of her bigger supporters and, uh, you know, surrogate volunteer here in New Hampshire for the last year. So um, Tulsi's great. She's just turned 39 yesterday, and, um, you know, I got to know her really well over the last year. So. I think the future is bright for her, and um, I really don't think this is the last we'll be seeing of her running for office. Well, four years from now, she won't be running against an incumbent. And I think that's uh, that's uh, could really go in her favor. Yeah, if there's no incumbency and if uh, there's not freaking 38 other candidates running, you know, because that was, that was something that we, we ran into in this. You know, her, her message was so stand out from the other candidates, but it just got kind of drowned out and lost on people because there was so much noise from all the other candidates. Yeah. But, uh, what's next for you? What's, what do you, what do you got going on uh, for projects in that? Well, obviously with this damn virus, uh, our interview series is on hold. We, we were, we were in talks with some comedians, 
um, to do some interviews for our Jackman radio show. Our, we, it's called Politics and Pints, but we wanted to kind of shift away from Paul. Obviously, we'd still talk politics, but we wanted to talk to more people in the arts. Um, my brother's a drummer in a band around here, and we love music. Music's a big part of our lives. So we were looking to interview some musicians, some comedians, some actors, um, kind of people in that in that world. Um, so we're, we definitely still have some coals in the fire there once we can get back out in the public again and set things like that up. And then, um, you know, also I, I do have my eye on possibly running for a congressional seat here in New Hampshire in 2022. So not in as this an, cycle. As an independent or for which party? Well, I haven't really 100% made my mind up on, on that. I mean, because mm-hmm. you, could, you could go down either path. If I had to run with a party, I'd run with the Democratic Party just because majority of my views line up with the Democratic Party. I'm a pretty progressive guy. Um, but I do have some, I guess you could call them Republican views too. So going the independent route would be good for that. But of course, if you if you run independent, you know, you're kind of apt to be ignored by the media and just call the fringe candidate and not included in the televised debates. Um, if you run independent, it's a lot more work. You have to... Uh, get thousands of signatures to be on the ballot. Whereas if you run with one of the main parties, you get the ballot access, you pay the fee, and then you'll, you'll be included in forums. Um, more, more likely you'll be included in televised debates. Um, you'll get more press. So I don't know yet, but uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards doing it as a Democrat. And, um, you know, my platform would be pretty similar to, to Tulsi's. Um, and, and in New Hampshire here, you know, we, we're pretty, pretty libertarian. We have a pretty strong li- libertarian independent bend. So some of my views are libertarian, certainly on drug policy, on foreign policy, on civil liberties, um, on the Second Amendment. So um, I'm thinking about it. I haven't obviously I got a little bit of time to make up my mind and I'm, I'm reaching out to friends and activists and people who could possibly raise money and that sort of stuff. There's a lot to consider, but I'm definitely uh, given that thought. And if I do that, that'll be my next big, big thing. <laughs> it's been a two party system pretty much forever. And do you think it's time? I mean, there's been rumblings for about a third party emerging for quite some time. Do you see that as a realistic possibility in within the next even 10 years for a third party to rise to, uh, to be a real contender? Yeah, well, certainly the, um, the people definitely crave it. They crave a voice that is not influenced by Wall Street, by the corporations, by the banks, by the Pentagon, by Big Pharma. And, you know, obviously, like you said, it's the two-party system. It's a two-party dictatorship. The same interests and powers own Democrat and Republican Party. So certainly the people want it. Um but, you know, your elites and the people who control the media and own the narrative of things, they, they don't they are holding on tightly to their power and they don't want to seed up any of it. Uh, it's such a contrast to Canada. Really to me. We have about five active parties, uh, uh, three or four majors, major parties in Canada, uh, as opposed to really no third option in the States. Yeah, I mean, our, our, the third and fourth biggest parties in America, the Libertarians and then the Greens, and certainly ballot access wise, both parties achieve enough ballot access every four years in the presidential to win the 200 electoral votes. Now, I mean, with Canada, do you think because you guys have a parliamentary system um, that lends itself better to more parties? You know, I don't know. Um, It's 
pros and cons for all the different systems. Uh, I think we all feel like our vote doesn't matter as much as it should, regardless of the system. It's certainly a frustration here. Uh, right now, the all of Western Canada um, voted conservative. Like it was a complete lockout of the Liberals, 100% lockout because we were just uh, getting the heck beat out of us uh, because of Liberal policies. And yet we are in um, uh, the Liberals won with a minority government because of a couple of main um, uh, population density places in the east it's kind of like the whole reason the u.s has the electoral college because you don't want to be the electoral the united states of california and new york you want everybody else to be able to have a say and if you don't Mm -hmm. uh you lock out the rest of the country and they don't have a voice and they're isolated well we don't have anything that's an equivalent of the electoral college we have a riding system that's not exactly balanced to start with but even if it was balanced because of population distribution the whole center of the country um gets ignored and and wiped out so even though the the west is dominantly uh, uh, blue and red means something different up here the the number the the colors are switched in the states so uh, i'll just say conservative and and herbal Uh, even though the, the west voted overwhelmingly in alberta there wasn't one seat anywhere that wasn't conservative because we were so angry and so um, at the end of our wits end that uh, we just locked them out completely. And previously, it was a completely uh, liberal and new de- new Democrat, which is extra liberal um, uh, government. But they did such a horrendous job that it was a protest vote and, and kicked them out. But we still don't have a say and we're still getting taken to the cleaners by policies that are happening on the uh, 3,000 miles away. So uh, is it working? I don't know. Um, yeah. I and, mean, you know, another thing with third parties here in America, um, certainly I'd be apt to go further because I, I voted majority of my votes um, in general elections. Let's see, 20, 2008, I voted Ralph Nader. 2012, I voted Gary Johnson. 2016, I voted Gary Johnson. So, um you know, most of my votes have been for a third party and not for Democrat or Republican. So there's an appetite for it and, and people want it. But, you know, what happens is when the elections heat up, people get back into that uh, bifurcated system of you got to do the lesser of two evils. You can't go outside of that. You can't stray a vote for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson's a vote for Donald Trump. And we can't have him. And um, I'll tell you what, if, if they would just inc- if they would just lift that 15% threshold for the, to be in the debates with the Democrat and the Republican and actually let political parties who have achieved enough ballot access to get the 270 electoral votes, because that is not an easy thing to do. You have to spend tons of money. You have to raise a lot of money. You have to organize. You have to get signatures. And, and you have to really mobilize a grassroots effort. So there's something to be said about parties who achieve that ballot access. They should put, like, if I could wave a wand, I would say, put the Green Party nominee and the Libertarian nominee on stage with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and let's have competition. Let's see what happens. So... Do you, feel that, really, do you feel that uh, Tulsi got locked out of the debates, that they moved the goalposts and cheated her? Well, I mean, that last one there, when she was still in the race, when we actually got two delegates from American Samoa in their primary, um, or their caucus, I think they have a caucus, whether it was a caucus or a primary, she got two delegates. And the, the, the benchmark to get into the previous debate was you have to be either XYZ in the polls or you have to at least have earned one delegate. 
So they didn't change that before the vote. We got the two delegates. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, you have to have this many delegates in that locked us out of the debate. But overall, there, there was there was a locking out of, of our campaign by the DNC and the establishment. I mean, since Tulsi resigned her post as vice chair of the DNC in 2016, she had a big, big, uh, big target over her uh, drawing ire of the establishment. And of course, when she endorsed Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primary and, you know, effectively gave a middle finger to the Clintons, the Clintons don't forget that kind of stuff. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to cross the Clintons, you know. The, well, on the upside, uh, Tulsi's still alive, so that's good. Oh, God, I know. I got more memes and I got more messages <laughs> and jokes about that kind of stuff, that kind of dark dark humor. And, 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 you know, being a combat veteran, Tulsi does have that kind of sense of humor. But, um, yeah, so, and yeah, in 2020, obviously, Hillary called Tulsi saying she was a favorite of the Russians and that she's going to play spoiler. So Unbelievable. she, like... She, I know, I, I still can't believe that she did that. So she, she did that, and then that all of a sudden we're looked at like uh, radioactive, and we're Putin's favorite campaign, and Tulsi's a Russian asset. I mean, what the hell does that even mean? Whereas the the the, 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 the Clintons taking millions of dollars from Russian interests, Bill goes over there and does a speech, while Hillary's you know Secretary of State, and then. Uh, X, Y, and Z business deal goes down. So you want to talk who the real Russian assets are, it's the Clintons when they had the Clinton Foundation going, but that's a whole other conversation. But anyways, yeah, to get to your point, man, uh, Tulsi was shut out. She was treated and maligned and treated very poorly, and it was very disrespectful uh, what the Clintons did to her and, and their establishment lackeys. And then lo and behold, when the time came for her to suspend the campaign, she did what she always said she was going to do. She endorsed the eventual nominee, and did not run third party. So all the while we're trying to run a campaign, we're also fighting off those attacks that she's a spoiler and she's going to run third party anyways. And she's like a secret Trump loyalist and all this bullshit, unsubstantiated crap um, did not help us. So we it's McCarthyism, McCarthyism uh, used against definitely. the DNC's own people. They're eating their own. Definitely. It definitely was, man, and and the whole Russian collusion, the Russian narrative. Um, to, to Trump has always been mobbed up with the Russians. I mean, it's not just about helping in an election. I mean, Trump's whole existence. Uh, you know, when the Soviet Union broke up, man, you were seeing mobsters and oligarchs coming over to New York City and laundering millions of dollars through his properties and his buildings. So Trump has always been, I don't, I guess you could say compromised, or he's always been connected in with the Russian mafia, which is really one and the same of the Russian government. You know, Vladimir Putin is the, one of the biggest gangsters in the whole planet. So um, that to have that pour into our campaign and, and being called a, a Russian asset, it just it sucked, you know, and, and I'm still pretty angry about it. But Tulsi's tough, man. She doesn't take shit from anybody. And she sued Hillary Clinton for for libel. And Is that suit still alive? That. It's still going. Absolutely. God, I hope she uh, wins that suit and is able to collect. That would be amazing. Crooked H was served the papers and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I loved it. When I, when, when, I, when I heard about that, I'm like, God, you go, Tulsi. That is, that is just so awesome. That took some serious guts because, yeah. you know, you had Trump, Trump running the whole time saying, you know, we're going to lock her up. We're going to investigate her. We're going to drain the swamp. Uh, Hillary's going to jail. And then when he gets in there, he goes, well, that was just a funny thing you said during the campaign. But we, we were pretty nasty to Hillary, so we're going to leave her alone. And Tulsi actually puts her money where her mouth is and sues Hillary for that shit. So. What do you? Th just sort of a closing question. Um, and it's not the way I was going to go originally, but that's all right. Uh, the only people or the only organization 
holding anybody to task, actually draining the swamp is at arm's length from Trump, although he does mention them from now on. It's Judicial Watch. And right now they do have Hillary Clinton's feet to the fire, and she's facing um, uh, having to actually testify this time in recorded testimony, answering all kinds of questions about uh, destroying the evidence that was those 33,000 emails, which I hate it even being diminished as if they're just emails. They were evidence in a congressional investigation. And she destroyed congressionally subpoenaed evidence. Uh, anybody oh. else would be in jail for the rest of their life. Absolutely. Well, for, first of all, let me just say, Tom, Tom uh, Fitton from Judicial Watch, he's a beefcake. He's a he's a total right wing heartthrob. You seen him like with his oh yeah his, uh, yeah yeah sleeve shirt uh, how yoked he is yeah the dude's <laughs> um, jacked no oh he's 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 yoked dude he's a he's a he's a uh, conservative dream <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a funny joke my friend says he goes he goes oh so, you know joking around seriously Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch he's a beefcake but um <laughs> no. Judicial Watch actually has done a lot of amazing work with their FOIAs and Freedom of Information Act and then digging out all, all the stuff out of the cesspit. Um, I would love to see Hillary have to testify uh, in a recorded session like that and have to answer for all of that. Um, but yeah, no, they're definitely to be commended. And I mean, I'm a big fan of WikiLeaks. I think WikiLeaks has done an amazing service for disclosure and exposure and, and uh showing the high crimes of the elites and the war machine and all that. So, you know, I'm a big fan of having Julian Assange freed and pardoned and everything. But, um, yeah, I know Trump Trump gives a lot of props to Judicial Watch, and, and they're to be commended when they dig up stuff. And if it happens to be uh, stuff that Democrats are doing, I applaud it. If it's stuff Republicans are doing, I applaud it. Any kind of corruption is corruption. Yep, and I agreed. As a taxpayer and as a citizen of a republic uh, here in America, we have a right to know when our so-called leaders are uh, engaging in crimes and they need to be held accountable for it. So Judicial Watch is certainly one vessel of doing that. Eric Jackman, thank you, brother, for so much for being on the show today. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, ab absolutely, Mark. It's been my pleasure and, uh, you know, look forward to much more in the future. It's been great talking to you and relations with Canada and America are never going to be better, believe me. Well, maybe you can hook me up with uh, interviewing Alex Jones next time. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do. Maybe you and I can uh, get together in an Alberta steakhouse. We can have some steak together. We can maybe, uh, you know, talk about the Canadian Illuminati and, uh, you know, bringing down the deep state in Canada and America. Infowars.com. I tell you what, Eric, you get your ass up here and uh, uh, I, if you give me 30 days notice, because that's how much time I need to make, to make reservations, the best steakhouse in the province and we have the best steak in the world anyway, uh, is just oh. south of my town. And it's, uh, it's, okay. it, it's literally three or four weeks out to be able to book it. So after the COVID oh, wow. thing, and they're all, they're all able to open up again, uh, I'll take you to the special little place called the Longview Steakhouse. God, I should have uh, charged Longview. him for, uh, for, for doing a plug <laughs> for him. But the Longview Steakhouse, <laughs> well, I've, had, can... I've literally had steak around the world, and it's the best. It's unbelievable. Even better than places oh, in Texas I've been. Now, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. I'll be the judge of that, Mark. But this is uh, this is near Calgary. This yeah, near it's Calgary. uh, it's Calgary. it's south of Calgary. I'm I'm in a town called Okotoks, uh, which is just south of okay. Calgary, and Longview is just uh, south of us. Um, and well, spectacular let, uh, mountain let, views too. Let's see if we could get Theo Fleury and Lanny McDonald to come have steaks with us, Mark. If you could put that together, I'll be there. Okay. Well, Theo's been on my show twice, so we actually have a shot. Oh no. 
No shit, man. I would love to meet Theo Fleury, man. I was a big fan of his growing up. Well, you got um, you got to give him a listen. On uh, I've had him on twice on the Mankey Show. He's he's a spectacular oh. guy. Yeah, well, ab- absolutely, Mark. Let's do it. I, I'm meaning to get up to Canada anyway, so you got yourself a deal. All right. Well, you got a place to stay. All right. Uh, All right thank cool. you very much, Eric Jackman, and I will talk to you soon. This is the Mankey Show podcast.